Hello, you are about to listen to another episode of Beyond Clean, a podcast where we talk about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. I am your host, Dave Thompson. Yes, we are in Season 4. We broadcast out of Orlando, Florida. This is where the cleaning industry talks about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. We would love to have you on the show, so reach out to me, D. Thompson at academyofcleaning.com or at 888-999-6059. Be sure to listen to our live streaming that we will be doing this year on Podbean. Now, for today's show, let's get started. Good afternoon, folks. This is Dave Thompson. I am the director of the Academy of Cleaning Excellence, and we are back for another episode I believe we're in our 50s. No, I didn't mean that by age. I meant that is the amount of episodes that we've had for this year. I'm beyond the 50s age, so uh, yeah, I had to throw that in, right? Well, hey, it is a Wednesday afternoon. We're kind of like at that hump time of the week. You know what? These days, I, I can't tell you really what day or time or day of the month. They all seem to run together. It's been a wild, wild start to the summer, I guess. Uh, We are in summer. I'm not going to talk to you and do all the talking today. We've got Dr. Aaron on the line with us. Aaron, uh, let's see. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here, Dave. How are you? Oh, good. I'm not talking to myself again. (laughs) Well, it looks like, uh, you know, it's, um, it's summer. And we didn't talk, uh, what, we hadn't been able to get together for, what, the last couple of months? Um, yeah, it was, it was April, I think, yeah, sometime in April. So, yeah, probably about six weeks. Oh, it's wild, man. Uh, so, you know, if a listener's new, hasn't heard you before, you've been on the line with us many times, but if if they're new, let's, uh, let's start this afternoon and kind of catch people up with who Aaron is and what the heck he does and why they should listen to you this afternoon. Okay, Dave. Uh, I'm uh, Dr. Aaron Butchko. I'm a professor of uh, management. It is my daytime job at Bradley University in Peoria, Illinois. Uh, Author of a couple of books, one called Performance-Based Strategy, another one called uh, Managerial Intelligence, a Clinical Perspective. Uh, I teach uh, mostly in the area of uh, planning and strategy and organization performance, and uh, I consult with a lot of organizations. I'm on several boards and, and try to keep my hand in what's going on in the business world and have been related or, or tied into the Jansan industry for 20 years now. Folks, I met uh, Aaron and we got to talking together basically because of the Triple S organization, a group of independent Jansan distributors around uh, the U.S., and I happened to be at a Triple S meeting and watched Aaron with one of his presentations. And I was, well, slightly challenged by one of the things he did. Come to find out after we talked, he got me set up on it. And it's been one of the most engaging, enlightening things I've ever done. And from there, well, I don't know. We, we, we've talked about a number of different things over the last couple of years. We sure have. And it's been a great relationship, Dave, and I have really, uh, over that time, come to admire and respect what you do, uh, both at the Academy of Cleaning Excellence and the work you do with uh, organizations and uh, 
Rockstar Janitor Program and everything you've done. And uh, it's just, it's a pleasure to talk with you and, and find somebody who really is committed to excellence, not only in the industry, but in his own personal dealings as well. So it's my privilege to be with you. So let's kind of catch each other up on what's going on in our worlds. Uh, you know, I, I think we want to also talk probably about, you know, as probably everybody else does, what is happening in our our world at large. But uh, I know that the last time we talked was uh, the start of April. We were just kind of getting used to this idea of remote learning how has it been? And I know you're in summer now, but uh, how how did the remote learning go for you at the college? <laughs> um, surprisingly well, uh, and I think even more impressive was uh, how quickly a lot of my colleagues kind of uh, plugged into it. Um, and the reason I say it was kind of going well for me, and I I always kind of feel a little bad about it, is because I was sort of migrating to the online platform. I've been doing that really now for about 12 or 15 years. Um, so in my case, it wasn't that big of an adjustment, uh, at least in order for me to get there, okay? Um, I, I had done things, for instance, oh man, boy, I hate to admit this, uh, 20, <laughs> years, uh, 20 years ago, I actually had myself videotaped uh, using VHS tapes, uh, yeah, I'm, I am that old. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, now you are dating yourself, Aaron. Yeah, thanks. And uh, I converted those into digital files, and then I was using those. And then one of my students, because I wasn't bright enough to do it, one of my students figured out how to strip out just the audio portion of that. And I've been using that now for probably 15 years. Um, so when students take me for a class, I don't lecture in the traditional sense. Instead, they go online and they listen to the, the lectures. Uh, and I was doing that 20 years ago. And then as, as the digital technology kept getting better, I just kept doing more and more and more. And then as you were talking about, then the next thing I discovered was um, how you can use digital technology interactively uh, in the classroom and, and with students. And so that's where I think I really, I, I really felt like for me, it wasn't a big deal. I really had an edge. And the cool thing was by having the students into that interactive online mode, um, we were able to keep a, a dialogue going during the class session. So for me, it wasn't that big a deal. It was a bigger deal for my students. Yeah, I think that's interesting. As you put that, uh, I don't have as long uh, of a history in making that adjustment. But, you know, whenever I came down here to Florida and we started the, you know, the upgrading the academy here at Jim Supply, you know, that was one of my things that I brought was more live, you know, through remote learning and online campus, which up until then they had only done it through live hands on. And, uh, you know, I got a lot of pushback there on the early days that, uh, oh, we really didn't need to do that. That was too much work. It it was too complicated. Uh, why you put yourself through it? Just knew the hands on class. And I kept pushing on it, and I was very glad that I did because, like you, when all of this happened this year, uh, I was better prepared to just hit the ground running, as it were. It's interesting here in the Jansan industry, what I've been watching is how many organizations are just now, this month, coming out with programs. Really? I don't want to name manufacturers, but, you know, some of the biggest manufacturers in our industry 
are just now getting ready to hit the ground with some programs. And uh, I, I happened wow. to be on a podcast with some people, and I, and I told them, I said, uh, you don't have to wait. I've got it now. And they were a little uh, miffed at me, I should say. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, one of the things you mentioned about talking today was, you know, changes and, and what's going to happen. Um, I'll, I'm, I'm going to give you a weird one, and I'm going to tell you how I, I'm going to tie this into the business world for just a second. All right. So, um, I had, I've been working out because, you know, what else are you going to do when we're all stuck indoors and stuff like that? And my daughter uh, kind of inspired me because she uh, got the role of Juliet in a local uh, community theater production of Romeo and Juliet. And so she dropped like 15 pounds for the role and looked really good. And I said, okay, I, I got to do that. I got to, you know, I'm tired of talking about it. I got to lose some weight. So I did. Uh, and then golf season started here and I go to pull on my golf pants and they're too big. Whoa. So I'm thinking, okay, I, I'm, but I like my golf pants, so I'm going to go get them tailored. You know, I'm going to have to have the waist brought in a little bit. And I go and I'm talking to the guy who's my tailor, and he's been my tailor for 25 years. And uh, I asked him how things were going, you know, with the whole COVID-19 deal and all that. And he said, boy, he said, you know, he said, I'm getting a lot of business from, from retail stores because he does a lot of alterations for some of the Department of Men's stores here in central Illinois. But he said, but nobody's buying suits anymore because they're all working from home. <laughs> and um, it, it, it hit me, right, when he said that, because, you know, I, I tell people one of the things I, I like to do, one of the things I really enjoy is what I call connect the dots. You know, I like to take um, little disparate pieces of information and try to find the big picture and all of that, like a puzzle type of thing. Mm -hmm. And when he said that, what hit me is, you know, if it's getting down to that level right now where people in that business and that line of business and that profession are seeing it, something's different. Something's, oh, yeah. really, something's really different now. And um, one of the things I would tell you that I think is going to happen when we come out of this is, is we have definitely discovered that we are far more capable of working remotely and working at home than we ever thought we were. You know, you're not the only one, Aaron, that has, has made that comment. And, you know, we're yet to see, and I hear people, uh, the earlier days, it was like, what's going to be the new norm? Uh, people aren't concerned about the new norm anymore. It's just, what is going to be normal now? Uh, there, it's not the new norm uh, that we ask. Because I think we're accepting that the norm is not going to be what it was anymore we're just waiting for that permanent change now. Right. Yeah. I, you and I talked in the past, right, about uh, the process of human development. And I talked to you about this idea that we use in my uh, book on managerial intelligence called generic mobility, separating and attaching. One of the things that I now am seeing that I think is really interesting about this. So we've been, if you think about it, so we started this really kind of mid-March is when everything kind of broke loose. I always date it to when, when the sports league stopped. All right. That's, that's when you knew something was fundamentally different. When the NBA shuttered and the NHL shuttered and all that type of thing, something's really <laughs> different here. And uh, so let's say mid-March. So now it's mid-April, mid-May, and we're almost in mid-June. So we're basically almost 90 days or a quarter of the year into this. Okay. 
And what I'm seeing now is the first part of this process. And what I mean by that is people are now separating. Uh, they're mentally beginning to say, well, we're not going to go back to the way it was. It's not going to be the same as it was nine, you know, 90 days ago. Uh, yeah, I, I, and, I think and, you're right. We've accepted yeah. that fact now. Yeah. And, and that's the first part, right, of growth and development. And by the way, for most of us, psychologically, that's the hardest part. The hardest part is the separation. Really? Yeah, because typically what we have to separate from is we have to separate from our routines. Uh, and that, that's, that's a lot of effort. I, I love your, your owner there at Gem Supply, Dutch Owens. He, he still has one of the best examples that I've ever heard, and I use it with groups all the time, and I give him credit for it. Get up in the morning and try to – whichever you do first, if you're a, whichever, pair, whichever leg you put in your pants first, put the opposite leg in first and see what happens. Now, that's a little tiny routine that every one of us have. You know, I'm a, I'm a right leg guy. I have to stand on my left like a stork, put the right leg in the pants, then I put the left leg in. So when Dutch kind of introduced me to that, I said, you know what? Tomorrow morning, I'm going to do that. So I forced myself the next morning to get up, and, and I, I remembered, and I stopped, and I put my left leg in, and I put my right leg in, and I pulled my pants up, and I just felt funky. I mean, I was, you know, twisting the waist, and I'm trying to, man, this doesn't feel right, you know, because I was out of my routine. Uh, now, that's just a micro level. Think about how our routines have been disrupted now uh, by virtue of, of this uh, COVID-19. So because we've, we've sort of gotten to this point now where we've moved out of our routines, we've separated. I mean, how many people, you know, we've had, we've had uh, online grocery shopping with pickup at Walmart for uh, months, really for years, okay? Um, all of a sudden, people have shifted because of COVID-19 to ordering online. You pick up at Walmart, you pick up at your local grocery store. Here in Peoria, we have Hy-Vee and Schnucks. And my wife just does that now. She just orders her groceries online, goes and gets the pickup. Um, I'm not sure if she's gonna go back to a grocery store. Because it's a lot easier to order it online, just drive by and pick it up and come home. Why spend that time, you know, in the store? So her routine has changed. Uh, and, and that's happening to every one of us. And that's what I mean, too, when I talk about working from home. We say, oh, it'll never, you know, it'll never work. It'll never be as good. And all of a sudden, we're sitting here saying, you know, it's working. Maybe it wasn't as bad as we thought. And once we get to that point, we start to change our routines in very subtle ways. So... What I'm seeing right now is we are at a point of separating. Here's the danger. Um, we don't know what we're going to attach to yet. We don't know what's on the backside of this. So we're in what, from a developmental standpoint, uh, we call, we refer to as the void, V-O-I-D, the void. Yeah, it's not, just a, it's not just a gaming experience at Disney Springs there in Orlando. It's actually a concept. Um, where you're in this gap in between separating and attaching. So, so you know the old ways aren't, aren't working, but you don't know quite what the new one is. And so you're in this stage where you're kind of in, in free fall, if you will. And the danger that we've got to watch out for there, and you're starting to see it, I think, in some of the data now that's coming out, uh, stress and anxiety starts to go up. 
because we don't know what the new way is supposed to be, but we know it's not going to be the old way. As a matter of fact, we're getting comfortable with the fact that it's not going to be the old way, but so far no one's told us what the new way is going to be. So and, do and you so think in that gap? So do you think that is what's kind of the the issue with the social unrest that we have going on right now is because oh, of that fact? No question. No question. Um, the human mind abhors a vacuum. Again, this is in the, the book Managerial Intelligence, which is one of the things we talk about in there. Um, people have to have meaning. Okay? It, it's, it's one of the basic rules of the human mind. Things have to make sense. Right? we got to have meaning. Uh, and all of a sudden, things don't mean what they used to because we can't interact with each other. We can't talk with each other. We can't be social like we were. And then once we're in that gap, kind of that void sort of area, something rushes in to fill it. And because we're so desperate for attachment, because we're so desperate to to be able to have meaning again, we're going to flow to the first idea that comes down the line. So yes, I don't think there's any question that a lot of what we're going through right now has been driven by the fact that uh, we kept people indoors for 70 days, basically, before this thing broke loose. And that is certainly a contributing factor uh, in terms of the psychology and the mob mentality. And anybody who doesn't think so is free to call me or talk to me or email me. Uh, I'll, 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 give you, I'll give you dozens of citations that, that substantiate that. Well, Dr. Aaron, uh, we've got a listener that was on the line, actually the, on our live uh, broadcast this afternoon before you got on. Uh, apparently, Nick was waiting for you. <laughs> okay. And, and uh, Nick has got a question here. Nick, I'll uh, we'll ask the question unless you want to come on live and uh, talk with uh, uh, Dr. Aaron and I. That's uh, quite all right. Uh, we'd glad to have you come on live and talk with us. Otherwise, his question here, Aaron, is what do you think about how this has been handled in comparison with other flus and other viruses? You know, this whole, I guess, this whole issue of, of the COVID and how we've... Uh, handle it, I guess, as businesses and country? Okay. Great question, Nick. Um, and again, now this is opinion, okay? And I could, whenever I do opinion, I could be dead wrong. Uh, <laughs> well, you and I have them, and so I've been accused of that myself. I know. So I, I'm just, again, I, I'm just sort of, you know, connecting the dots and, and you know, here's what I see. Um, what I find to be a, re a, a really interesting activities, you go back and you look at uh, similar circumstances. I think Dave, and I don't know if we ever said this on the podcast, but I know in, in just you and me talking offline in various locales over the years, um, you've heard me say that one of my sort of pet peeves is uh, the lack of awareness of history uh, in our country today. So, so every, every time something happens, we think this is new, this is novel, this has never happened before. And, and we react to it like it's some new thing. When in fact, if you, there's an old saying, right? The, the nice thing about being a scholar uh, and, and studying history is you get to live in many places and in many different times. And uh, when you do that, you begin to realize that there's a lot of commonalities. There's a lot of common threads. Some of those are scary. Uh, some of those are uh, optimistic. 
Um, but there's a lot of commonalities floating around out there. So um, what I've done or what I've tried to do sort of is, is as this is all going down, try to take a look at, okay, when have we, when have we been through this before? And obviously the big one everyone likes to talk about is the Spanish flu epidemic uh, in, the, in the 1900s, uh, early 1900s. And, right. and certainly um, that had uh, some parallels with our experience right now. But at the same time, uh, we did not have the level of medical knowledge and science that we have today. And the big thing is we didn't have this darn thing called the Internet. Yeah, we where, didn't have social media back then. Yeah, and there's no Facebook, there was no Instagram, and there weren't people walking around with cell phones uh, that were transmitting transmitting information and experiences virtually in real time. Uh, so it took, I mean, it took weeks for information to get around uh, about the Spanish flu. Now we're talking about, you know, information that moves in seconds. Um, so, but but there are some parallels. Then the other one that I looked at was the swine flu, which we seem to have forgotten. Uh, in 2008, I believe it was, or 2010, 2010, 10 years ago, um, which came out of actually the U.S. was the original firing point for that. Actually, it started in uh, Mexico with, with a herd of, of pigs uh, in northern Mexico, crossed the border, and then went through the U.S. Uh, and again, y- you got to be careful when you try to draw parallels because there's always differences. For instance, sure. the swine flu hit young people and children far more than it, interestingly enough, far more than it hit elderly people because the swine flu was a variation on the old H1N1 uh, strain of uh, influenza. And adults probably had some immunity built up over the years to the H1N1. What got everybody about this coronavirus thing is it, it, there's a reason why we, you know, everyone thinks about what is this novel coronavirus? Why did, why did we put that word in front of it? And the reason novel in this case means new. It means something we've not seen before. It's unique. Uh, and so that was, I think, what initially sort of caused everybody to think, all right, this is going to be a whole new thing. And given what we knew about some of or didn't know because of China about some of the early reactions to it, um, we decided to err on the side of caution, which was probably not inappropriate because we didn't know. Right. It was new. It was unique. It was novel. So the, the consensus was, well, let's. Let's err on the side of caution. So let's flatten the curve and let's, you know, two million people are going to die. And, you know, we heard all of the the heavy prognostications. And I saw on one of my Internet feeds today that Dr. Fauci says, no, it's going to start up again. And, you know, we could have it happen all over this fall. Who knows? Um, And that, by the way, is, is part of our big problem right now, because it is novel, because it is new. Uh, We don't know. We're guessing. Uh, but we are erring on the side of caution. So what we did in this case is because we didn't know and because we didn't have good information coming out of China, which is where this particular strain of of coronavirus began, um, we decided better safe than sorry. Now, did we go too far? Yeah, no question. No question that we went too far. Uh, If you look at uh, the experience of other countries, uh, and how they tried and, and how they've tried to manage it. Um, 
we went too far, A, and we probably waited a little too long, B. And I'm, I'm saying that based on the experiences of, that we're seeing now, the data that's coming in from Sweden, who decided not to go overboard and protect the vulnerable populations, uh, and New Zealand, who, once it started, shut down their country. I'm, I'm to the point where we're not let, we're not bringing anybody in. Period. End of story. There's no flights coming in and out of New Zealand. But I just saw two days ago on the news that New Zealand now has zero cases of coronavirus. Um, we moved a little later, and we obviously had allowed people into the country. There are two strains: the Chinese strain, and then there's the strain that came from Europe, which is why it hit the coasts first, where you've got international airports. Right. Uh, and then. Uh, You've got, in addition to that, you've got um, uh, you've got the fact that we it, this one is more hitting the vulnerable populations. So I've got a colleague of mine who does work with one of our local health centers, and he's a really good source of information. We've been very fortunate in Peoria, in Central Illinois. Uh, we've been very very low in terms of of the COVID nineteen issue, but in every single case. Um, he was telling me, based on our data, at least in our experience here, it's been the at-risk populations and the people with comorbidity. Uh, and I always tell what I've told people is, I said, "Well, we're beginning to find out how unhealthy the American people are, uh, <laughs> because you know, if 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 you've already got some health issues and you get it, it's not a good thing." Uh, so we we delayed a little bit at the start, and it's fun to go back now, by the way, and look at some of the early internet postings on it. I was just uh, my wife was cleaning out some some papers. I like the Wall Street Journal because of my profession, and and she always gives them to me before I throw them away. And I was looking at a Wall Street Journal from February, uh, and an op-ed piece in the Wall Street Journal that said, "Well, you know, this coronavirus thing probably isn't going to. It's going to be bad, but it's probably not going to be too bad." And I'm thinking, "Wow, you know, that was, this was a month before we basically shut the economy down. You know, I'm mean, 30 days out. People still didn't." have a sense of what this was going to be. So, um, you know, when, when Nick asked the question, um, what really hit us this time was the uncertainty uh, and the fact that the uncertainty now is magnified by the information flow. So you've got one person saying one thing, another person saying another thing. My big worry, by the way, in all of this is that um, it's going to hurt the trust and the credibility of um, the Center for Disease Control, et cetera, et cetera, because there's a lot of people that are saying, you know, we shut down the economy for this. Uh, what what appears to be a, a bad seasonal flu strain. I mean, again, talking to my friends that are in the medical profession, the people I work with there, you know, coronavirus has been around for decades. I, when you get a cold, mm -hmm. the common cold is a form of coronavirus. Right. This one just happens to be a unique strain. By the way, another piece of information I got this week, uh, talking to people in the medical community, uh, it's mutating. And, it, and actually, it mutates about every two to three days. So that original strain that came out of Wuhan, China, keeps morphing. But one of the things they said to me is what it looks like from, from the data that they're seeing is that as it mutates, it mutates into a more milder strain, which they're finding interesting because typically... Uh, when these things mutate, when it's a flu virus like H1N1, when it mutates, right. it, it it becomes more severe. It gets more viral. Yeah, and what they're and seeing what they're seeing with COVID nineteen is the mutations actually are less severe. 
in terms of their uh, impacts and their outcomes. So, you know, that's that's kind of the latest. But you know what? It's going to be different in a week or two. I guarantee you. You know, I think it's interesting as you say that because Daryl Hicks and I did our first uh, broadcast on our accredited infection prevention expert class that we had reworked, redesigned in early January. We broadcast it out in February, and I was looking back at it and looking at, you know, what what was said, what did we not say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of was looking at whether I should take it down or not because people were, were still viewing it. And as Nick pointed out here in his other question or statement, you know, we said then we should look at the other strains of illnesses, diseases that us in the janitorial profession have to deal with on a regular daily basis and look at this as just something that's going to bring about a new respect. And I think that's what has happened because the cleaning industry and also society in general has all of a sudden recognized how important our industry is. And for us, it's not whether I'm really fighting COVID or not. It's that I'm fighting an infectious disease every single time that I go into a facility. Um, I think what's interesting is I'm now seeing in advertisements on public television, actually people in our profession for -hmm. the first time ever. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm seeing the words custodian. I'm seeing the words janitor. I'm seeing images of people in our industry on national TV, in advertisements, um, in a way we've never seen before. And I think going forward, this is not going to go backwards. I think this is going to continue because uh, you're you're right. Uh, The flu every year has killed more people than COVID so far. Now, in a year-to-year basis, is that true? But the thing I think that we have to realize here as we talk through this is that we're not just fighting influenza or COVID. We're fighting still MRSA. We're still fighting norovirus. We still have H1. We still have C. diff. We still have all of these. And I think every time when we teach a class here at the academy, this is what we're trying to get across to people that while you may be fixed on COVID, our industry is fixed on all the diseases. Yeah, um, I think that's I think that's a really important point to get across, right? I mean, this what it's done is it's made us more aware of the environments in which we operate. We used to take the environment for granted, right? You didn't. You didn't. When you went to a movie theater, when you went to a, a sporting event, you didn't worry about the person sitting next to you. Well, actually, if you're well, you talking did. to me, <laughs> yeah, you did. I know. Okay. Yeah, no, really, <laughs> seriously, and I and I and I hate to admit this here on a live pro- podcast, but I will have to tell you, folks, uh, the last movie I went to was well over a year ago, and I, I actually had a panic attack. Hmm. I absolutely did. I had a panic attack in the middle of the theater. 
the the I felt like the walls were closing mm-hmm. in on me. I looked around. I was seeing people. There was so many people in there. We were packed in so tightly. I was looking literally at where the exits were. Okay. And I think this is whenever you talk about this, uh, uh, I, I think it's interesting how we've been locked in to home. And now what is going to happen when the movie theaters, I think there are, some of them are starting to open up this next week. How are many other people going to be thinking about this? And I, I still, I have to admit, I, I, uh, I got through the movie, but I told my wife when we left, I said, I don't know if I'm going to go back. Sure. Um, by the way, that's an, uh, that is really a, an interesting observation. I say that from this standpoint, um, again, just, you know, and I try to read everything. I, I'm a voracious reader. Uh, one of the conversations now that people are having is, will uh, movie theaters survive? Because again, right, what's happened for 90 days is we've been streaming films into our home. And we've all got, you know, most people today, at least, have got big screen TVs with, you know, theater quality sound systems and digital uh, you know, cable or satellite. And it's kind of like, yeah, why do I want to go out to a theater and sit with a whole bunch of people and watch it on a big screen when I can kind of do it at home? And by the way, I can empathize with that a little bit because um, my wife has, um, can be sensitive to motion sickness. And when we go to a theater, uh, we need to sit in the back because if she's too close to the screen, uh-huh. the motion on the screen will upset her. Mm-hmm. So we sit in the back and I remember sitting in the back once and I looked over at her and I said, you know, if we're going to do this, we might as well just stay at home because, you know, the size of that screen isn't much bigger than, you know, our TV set in the house, you know, type of thing. She said, I know, but I, I you know, I like the movie experience, and I, which is great, which I understand. But a lot of people have moved away from that. And so that's a big question right now is will theaters survive? Now, you're still going to don't get me wrong. You're still going to have Hollywood producing content, et cetera. But, you know, will people want to go out to a theater and have that experience after this? Um, And that's a big open question right now. I don't think anybody knows what that's going to look like when when we come back. So, Aaron, are we are we about to see a reemergence of the drive in um, (laughs) mentality? I mean, seriously, you think about this. We saw drive in churches that were using old drive ins. They went in and reworked them. And they were having church at the drive-in. Yes. Um, it's funny that you mention that because the church that we attend here in Peoria for years used to do uh, an Easter sunrise service at the Peoria drive-in. And then when they tore the drive-in down, we didn't do that anymore. Uh, but we were I was joking with our pastor. I really wasn't joking. Honestly, Dave, I was only half joking. <laughs> One of the things I told our pastor, uh, because we're in Illinois, we were shut down for Easter. But I told him, I said, you know what? You ought to go back to the future. I said, I'd go out and I would, I would rent a, uh, a lift, a hydraulic lift. We've got a guy in our congregation who does sound systems. I said, I would have done Easter service right there and have everybody just pull their car in and just, hey, we used to do this 25 years ago and we're going to do it like we did before. Uh, my best friend who lives up in Grand Rapids, the church he attends up there, does in fact do that now. People come in their cars. Uh, they can pipe it over a, a, a designated AM radio station to the people right. over there. And that's yeah. how they take care of it. Uh, and my wife and daughter and I were walking a couple nights ago, and they said um, places where there are still drive-in theaters, uh, the drive-ins are starting to make a comeback because people 
kind of want that experience. It's, it's social, it's, it, but it's socially distant. So I can sit in my car and I can watch the movie, but I'm with other people that are sort of doing it. So it'll be interesting to see if that one comes back. But whether or not we're ready to go into an enclosed space with a whole bunch of people uh, just for an entertainment experience or not, I think is a, a real open question right now. Well, Aaron, I can guarantee you, I will go to a drive-in theater now, but I won't walk into a, a movie house again. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, you know, this is, and you and I talked about this, I think, the last time we were together, though, which is the whole notion, though, again, talking about the industry for a moment of collaborative cleaning that we are now at, at an expectation level where uh, when I go into a restaurant, um, I, I'm expecting a little more distance now and I want to see people, uh, I, I want to see the bottle of hand sanitizer there and I want to see people using it and I want to see people, don't just come over with that dirty dish rag and wipe the table off when you're done. You better be, right. spraying, you better be spraying something that says, you know, disinfectant on that bottle and you better be wiping it off with a clean, uh, uh, clean cloth uh, if you expect me to sit there. You know, I mean, that's just we're going to be different. You know, we we're talking about we're going to be starting up again at Bradley. We have decided we're going to go online. We're going to go live this fall. We're going to be on campus. Um, but we're talking about, you know, will it require masks? What are we going to do for distance? Uh, and what are we going to do about cleaning? Um one of the things, though, interestingly enough, to your point about seeing more uh, custodians, janitors in the facility, one of the things we've already talked about is uh, going to our is changing the hours of our custodial crew because they used to do everything at night. Uh -huh. And now people are sitting there saying, we don't need them at night. There's nobody in the building at night. Right. Let's have them there during the day when that classroom clears out, get in there and clean that room out because you've got 15 or 20 minutes before the next class comes in. Clean mm -hmm. that room out so it's ready for the next room, you know, next group of students to come in. Uh, so again, we're, we're, it's going to be different. We don't know what it's going to be yet, but it's going to be different. It's interesting as you say that. I, uh, you know, you and I do a lot of things alike, although we don't know that we're both doing it at the same time. Uh, I went back and was looking at some videos uh, from about uh, 10, 12 years ago that I was shooting with some of my clients in Missouri at the time. And I had a school that I had introduced to day cleaning to. And it was during a time where people were like, there ain't no freaking way we're going to clean anything during the day. Um, and especially at a K through 12 school. And so I went into this with him. I said, does it really matter if the trash can gets emptied at night or if it just gets emptied one time a day and never gets filled up? And to yeah. your point that you just said, when the students go out, classrooms routinely have an activity or something where they go out and they come back. And so what I showed them is how to do that. Well, they started doing that and they were always had their school closed. Everybody was out of the building by 8 PM. They weren't running till midnight and one o'clock. Mm -hmm. The whole mm -hmm. school was, but I actually mm -hmm. had video of her doing day cleaning. And it's interesting how the conversations now are just like you are coming to the frequencies and many um, operations I'm talking to recently are now bringing the day porter back. Oh, sure. Well, think about, think about the logic of it for just a moment, right, Dave? So what do we do? I mean, what's been our habit? So we let all of the, we let people come in, use the space from eight o'clock in the morning until five in the afternoon. 
And in effect, right, we're, we're piling bacteria on top of bacteria uh, and virus on top of virus. And that was my joke, too, about, you know, restaurants would go in and they bring out that that rag from the bucket to wipe yeah, the that table off. Bucket. Yeah. So, you know, good. Let's, you know, let's 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 add some bacteria and move it around a little bit. That's that's yeah. a great move, you know. Yeah. Um, and and we but that was our we pile it up. And then at night, there's nobody there. So we clean it. So we, so we, I, I always used to think of it. I said, it's like, you know, putting on multiple layers of paint. And then at the end of the day, we strip it back down. And then we build up all the layers of paint the next day. You know, wouldn't it make more sense to clean as we go? Yeah, not why, build up the layers. Yeah. Why build up the layers? Just just take care of it on the fly. Uh, and, and I think you're going to see a lot more of that. And as people talk about collaborative cleaning, it's, it's, you know, they're starting to talk about when, when our students come into the room, uh, you know, there's the, uh, there's the wipes right over there, the, the, the disinfectant wipes, grab one and wipe your desk off or, or wipe your workspace off and throw the bloody rag away. And we won't have to worry about it. You know, if, if you're concerned about that, just, Clean it for crying out loud, you know, uh, and, and, and hopefully we're going to move to that direction. I just going to mention something to you because, I again, I'm, I'm just always interested in this as, as information comes up. So I, I did some, again, did some noodling around on the Internet, did some research, and uh, uh, it's called the Journal of Virology. So, I mean, you know, we got academic journals for everything, so we got, <laughs> we got it all covered. Uh, but what was interesting was it was a team of Korean scientists that set up some traps just to catch viruses and bacteria floating in the air. Uh, and they did this like in downtown Seoul. Uh, they actually went into an industrial facility uh, and in a forest. And what they, what they, after they did this, they came up with some really interesting estimates. In each cubic meter of air, now that's a cubic meter, okay, which is kind of like a, a little bigger than a cubic yard. In each cubic meter of air, Right now, as we're talking, there are between 1.6 million and 40 million viruses. And in each cubic meter of air, there are between 860,000 and 11 million bacteria. And so they did a little math, and they said, given that the average human being breathes roughly 1 100th a cubic meter of air each minute, the simple calculation says that, that every minute, we breathe in a few hundred thousand viruses. Every and then you add the bacteria to that too. And then add the bacteria to that. And, and, and that's every minute of our lives we're doing that, okay? Uh, what was cute about it is I made a little note and they said, a, a note to hypochondriacs, holding your breath may keep viruses from coming into your body. But as a lifestyle, <laughs> as a lifestyle choice, it has some drawbacks. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, I, thought I, need was, to... I thought that was interesting, right? That, that it went, it, we're... we're we're we become maniacs about this but as you and i are sitting here talking you know during the just during the time we've been talking we have literally breathed in millions of viruses and bacteria fortunately most of them aren't gonna aren't gonna have a negative impact on us folks i want to let you know that we are sponsored and supported by jim supply they are a supplier of cleaning goods here in central florida where they've been improving lives with those cleaning supplies since 1930. We're very happy to be sponsored by them, give us the opportunity to have these great conversations with Dr. Aaron and many other people that have been on the podcast this year. 
So uh, if you're looking for some of those supplies that uh, Aaron and I are talking about, uh, well, you know, the challenges that we have in this industry, you know, the distribution channel has suffered greatly. It's been stressed. Supplies are getting better, but still a little lacking for some of us. But you still need those. This challenge, as Dr. Aaron and I are talking this afternoon, will continue to keep on coming. Uh, you know, Aaron, I, I think the thing here as we look at this, we did do some very, we, we, we went into some very drastic measures. I think it's interesting, uh, the stage that you said that we're in now, the void. Yep. I, I look at this and I look at the stress that people seem to be under. And whenever I'm teaching class now, I hear that. Mm -hmm. And then I sometimes want to sit and pause and think, well, am I really hurting the situation by giving them all of the, the, the really gory down details of what we do in our industry and the, the severity and the challenge that we, that we have. Um, I guess I have been told that, you know, Dave, you lay it on a little too thick, but now is the time that we realize the ramifications, I would say, if we do not do things right, do you think, and again, here's our opinions, uh, you know, this afternoon, mm -hmm. you know, as you, as you've watched this and we thought, talk about COVID weakening as what I've been hearing, I, you know, I have the sneaking suspicion of my own that the flu was going to come back around this fall after the summer's over. Of course, we will have went through this challenge of being separated and social distancing, and you're already seeing people that don't want to do any of it anymore, and they're tired of it. And then you're also seeing reports now starting to come out that uh, all the reports that you've been seeing were a, a tad overinflated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Flu is going to come back. No question. We're not going to have a vaccine for COVID at whatever right. strain that it is when it comes back. Um, and I keep telling people, you know, what you're learning now is may help keep more flu this fall. Correct. However, yeah. is COVID going to now come back and are we going to see or do you really think that all of these changes that you and I are talking about this afternoon is actually going to make a better social environment for us for the remainder of our lives? Okay. Um, will the flu fire back up again? No question. We do that every year. It's, it's a seasonal phenomenon. Uh, we will get that. Uh, you have one wonderful advantage. You are in the great state of Florida. Um, as I mentioned earlier when I was introducing myself, you know, I, I have the privilege of serving on several boards. Uh, some of our board members are in Florida and they sort of are calling in and they were telling, one of them happens to be in Naples. And he said, you don't, you don't know anything's going on here in Naples. I mean, we just, you know, it's, you know, people, people are just going about their lives. I mean, Naples, Florida has not been disrupted. Well, part of the reason for that is that we do know that ultraviolet radiation kills uh, COVID-19, kills viruses. And you tend to get a lot of sunshine down there and your temperature is warm. <laughs> Uh, and so, you, you know, there's a reason why people retire and move to Florida and it's not just, you know, for the orange juice. Um, and there's a reason why people live longer there because the environment that you're in tends to be a little more 
difficult for bacteria and viruses to be able to grow and thrive. Not that you don't have your share of issues. Uh, of course, the other problem is you got those daggone snakes and alligators, neither of which I like. So that's a whole separate, that's a whole separate issue. Um, yeah, well, you know, I, I just saw a video the yeah. other day of one of them that met somebody at the door of Walmart. <laughs> no. Literally. Literally. I don't do either of those. So, um, so I mean, that's, but will it come back uh, up north here in Illinois and, and et cetera? No question, right? It's going to come back. Um, will it be less severe? That's what everybody is saying is the, um, the option here. I mean, here, here's the, the, one of the hard realities that no one wants to talk about, okay? And I'm going to give you a couple of uh, sort of premises to get to this sort of hard reality. Premise number Nobody one, else wants to talk about it, but we're going to this afternoon. Well, why not? What the heck? I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm a full professor with tenure. What are they going to do to me? Yeah, right. Um, okay, let's go. You know, um, reality. Life is difficult. It is nasty. Uh, it is brutal. And it is short. Uh-huh. That is the nature of uh, being. That is the nature of being a human being. You know, as, as people like to point out, life is a terminal condition, uh, and we're going to deal with a lot of difficulties along the way as we go through it. It is the nature of what we, of who we are. So, what we're trying to do is minimize that to the extent that it is feasible. That's premise number one. Premise number two. Human beings don't like that. Okay, we, no. we, we understand that. Premise number three, so now we're going to ask our institutions, our organizations, our government, etc., to do what they can to ameliorate human pain and suffering, which is, by the way, the, the natural condition of being a human being. Uh, so here's, here's the harsh reality. We make these trade-offs all the time. And so, the sure question, and so the question is not, will the flu come back? Will COVID come back? Of course it will. The question is, and here's what's going to be brutally tough for some listeners. How many, how many deaths are acceptable? Because we could do everything necessary again to try to minimize and shut everything down. And we'll never shut it down completely. So... How many, how many deaths are acceptable? And for people who react when I say that, and I've done that in a couple other groups already, student groups and things like that, and they just, you know, how can you talk like that? It's real easy because I said, we, we make those trade-offs all the time. I said, for instance, roughly 30,000 plus people will die this year in uh, highway uh, automobile accidents. I mean, that's, that's a lot of people going to die <laughs> in their car on a highway. I said, we could stop highway deaths tomorrow. I, I know how to do it. We're going to have a national speed limit of 15 miles an hour, and we're going to put uh, software into your vehicle so that your car is not going to be able to drive more than 15 miles per hour, period, end of story. And I've just ended highway traffic deaths. But I don't think there's a whole lot of people who want to spend a day going from Orlando to Miami or Orlando to Jacksonville. They want to get there in a couple hours, three hours, right? So no, we want to drive seven. Okay, if you want to drive 70 miles an hour, recognize that you're saying you're willing to tolerate some number of deaths on the highway because of the speed limit. I mean, I was, uh, I've was i been over to Europe on a couple occasions on the Autobahn in Germany. 
there is no speed limit on the Autobahn. Drive what you want. And they always warn you, too, as you're driving. Because we had a one time we were over with the family and we'd rented a Volkswagen uh, camper type bus, mini minivan thing deal. And as we rented it from the, the guy at the Avis in, uh, in Switzerland, he said, now, when you're on the Autobahns, he said, if, look in your rearview mirror frequently. He said, because if you see headlights flashing behind you, be sure you're over in the right lane because these people are doing 150, 180, 200 kilometers an hour, and they don't care. Uh, no, you, talk- they'll run right over you. Oh, yeah. And so we were talking with people about this, though, and we said, wow, isn't that difficult? And they said, no, actually, we tend to have fewer accidents than you do in the States. But the other, but what they said that I thought was interesting, they said, but when we do have them, they're generally fatal. <laughs> because you know you're not going to survive at 180 kilometers an hour if your car goes off the road. It's you know right. end of story. Uh, but that's a trade-off that they've made. Uh, we make a different trade-off here, right? Um, but but by doing that, we've said okay, we're we're willing to accept some number of highway traffic deaths. So what's the number? That's what I always try to reduce people down to. You tell me what the number is, and we'll figure out how to get there. And when we say, well, we want to have zero deaths from coronavirus, well, that's not realistic. Correct. I mean, the only, all, the only way we're going to do that is we're all going to have to walk around in the, uh, the hazmat suits all of our lives. I mean, that's just not going to happen, right? Well, yeah, yeah. And, and, that's, and that's where we all point our fingers at the germaphobes and go, ha, ha, ha. But now you're thinking, well. Right. So I think where, where, we're, where we're migrating to, I hope, where we're migrating to, uh, is a greater awareness of uh, the environment. Remember what I said. It's a greater awareness of the environments in which we operate. And like I said, to me, if it, if it changes the cleaning model from, well, let's do it at night, let's, you know, let, let's take off 10 layers of bugs of bacteria at night and then let them all build up during the day, that's great until it's 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Do you want to go into that environment? Right. I, I'd rather somebody was cleaning it about every hour. I think that would make a whole lot more sense. Uh, will that reduce the severity of, of the flu season? Gee, I hope so. Will it reduce the severity of, of COVID if it bounces back again? I hope so. Is it going to eliminate it? No. And and people are saying, well, you know, we'll 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 have the vaccine in, in maybe in as little as now they're saying maybe nine months or so. Sorry, guys. I mean, I have a brother-in-law who works in the healthcare industry, and they are required to get the flu shot every year, and he gets the flu. And he goes in and he says to him, I don't understand. I had the flu shot. How did I get the flu? And they said, well, yeah, but it wasn't that strain of the flu that you got the shot for. Well, and I so, think what people don't understand yeah. is the, the flu shot is simply vaccine against it. It's not an absolute. It right. never has been. Uh, we've never been able to do that. And just because we can with the flu doesn't mean we can with this. And people like you're saying here earlier, you know, how it's getting less and less. But the thing is, it mutates. And this is what, right. if you will, uh, bacteria and viruses do. They have this supreme ability to adapt and multiply in their environment. And if the environment changes, they adapt to it. They're yeah. very uh, vicious when it comes to this and very inept at doing it. And so therefore, I think when you said numbers, you know, this is one of the things I do is I live on my remote learning uh, classes I'm doing, I actually do ATP measurement and I show them all of the little small little things you can do that changes the variables, which changes the outcome. 
Right. And I can never actually get to a zero on there. Everybody goes, well, can you get to there? No, because right. the minute, the second that I get there, it changes the next second. Just right. me breathing onto the surface that I'm actually measuring changes it. There you go. And I so mean, if, there, if, if there, we're breathing in, if we're breathing in those kind of bacteria and viruses, obviously we're exhaling. Absolutely. So you can clean the surface, but to your point, I, I've just cleaned the surface and I just took a breath and they're back on the surface, right? So we, we can minimize, but we're Correct. never going to eradicate. And, and so your, your conversation that you and I had, um, and, and we never did follow that up, by the way, just to tell you, uh, we never followed up on the uh, quarters in the pocket and, uh, you know, the, the 10 quarters a day mm -hmm. challenge yep. thing. Yep. But what I have done is I've been writing a lot of uh, procedural programs for our industry. Uh, two of them that I wrote recently was one for the restaurant industry. And one of the things that I put on there in the very start of it was the new requirement for a restaurant should be. Mm-hmm. Before you're seated and you're served that you have to wash your hands with soap and water in our restroom. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you can't believe how many people I uh, have gotten uh, <clears throat> comments from. Oh, sure. But you think about this. Do I really want to be seeing the bottle of disinfectant or do I want to know that the people that prepared my food are washing their hands? So one of the things that I actually put into our protocols for best practices for cleaning technicians is that they should wash their hands every hour, regardless of whether they wear gloves or not. And I can oh, guarantee absolutely. you when I, when I get into that, I just, I can watch the students on the remote camera. They just sit back in their chair and you can just look, see this look on their face like, oh man, there ain't no way I'm going to do that. But it's back to what you have taught me already is this is a behavioral change that we're going through. Correct. Yep. It is hard to change our behavior. Sure. And it is going to take a lot of time for us to change our behavior. And I think the other side of what you've been saying this afternoon is we went so far to the other side. Now we're going to have to go back completely to the other side before we rebound back to somewhere in the middle where we should have been. Yeah, but I'm not sure we're going to do that. I, I really don't. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't see us. But history, if it repeats to, itself, like you said, is going to do sure. that. Well, um, this one's, yeah, it will. This one's, I mean, this is what, this, this is, is what history is. This is what history has taught us. That, you know, you're right. a student of history and yep. this is what we do. We go from one extreme to the other and then we bounce somewhere back in the somewhere middle. Somewhere in the middle. Right. But I, I or, or the way I word is I say, we go to one extreme, we go to the other extreme. And then when, but when we settle in the middle, where's the new middle? And that's the thing that, that we don't know yet. So, and so what you're saying is you're thinking this afternoon that we're not going to go back completely to the far side again. We're going to come back to the middle. I think our middle is going to shift. Ah. If, you think, if you think I'm going to get off an airplane and not immediately go to a washroom and wash my hands for the rest of my life, I think you're kidding yourself. Yeah, see, I've been doing that my whole life. Yeah. But, you know, I've seen plenty of people that get off the plane, boom, they walk right down to go get their luggage and get their car and, you know, get on with their life. Um, no, I'm going to get off the plane. I'm going to wash my hands. 
Okay. I mean, it's just, you know, whether I need to or not, I'm going to wash my hands. It's just, you know, it's, it's, that's, and that's what I mean when I say these, the middle has now shifted. So what once upon a time was sort of normal behavior. Now it's like, no, I'm, I'm going to be thinking about this for a while. And well, I believe that's you're, not you're a right. bad thing. I believe you're right to the point that the middle has shifted for right now. Uh, one of the things that has come out, uh, and uh, the people here at Jim Supply have asked me about this, and we hadn't quite, you know, we're writing courses and putting more material out there every day, is cooperative cleaning. Yep. Because what we're now seeing is people that have never cleaned in a building before <clears throat> are now being asked to cooperate with the cleaning operation to do some of the tasks because they understand the frequency needs to be more. And now, so what we're putting out is what we call mini courses for people that have never done this before. I put out two of them last week, how to apply a cleaner and how to apply a disinfectant complete with information, a video and a live demonstration of how to do that, a, a mini course less than an hour. And people are now starting to purchase those because they've never cleaned professionally and now they're being asked to. Right, right. Well, you know, I, and I understand that. I mean, we just, right, we're in our habits, we're in our routines, we look at price. You know, uh, for a long time, um, like everybody else, right, it was cheaper to just go and, and buy a three-pack of, of dish rags at Walmart. Um, but now, all of a sudden, you know, we, my wife and I talk about it, and, hey, this microfiber looks pretty good. You know, cotton, yeah. cotton traps. Cotton keeps it. Microfiber's plastic. Nothing sticks to plastic. Rinse that sucker out. Much better off, right? And it's those are the those are the behavioral changes, the little things that you know we're starting to move people. So you walk in our house now, and there's the Clorox wipes as you come up the stairs. Grab one if you got a concern. I mean, it's just it's it never used to be there. It's there now. I mean, it's just so that's what I mean when I say that the where we're going to settle down will be different. And to your point earlier, by the way, Dave, I, I'm hoping we're going to have a, a much better flu season and a much better uh, COVID round two than we did the first time because we've got people suddenly aware of this. And it's, you know, part of me says it's a shame that we had to get there. Uh, you and I have talked for a long time and, and you always know too. And I, I tell, and I'm actually proud of it too. I tell people, I say, you know, I paid my way through school working as a janitor and you could eat off my floors and you could eat off my countertops. I mean, I was, I took pride in my facilities. They were spotless. Um, and I think if we get people to that level again, where they suddenly begin to realize that um, this does have an impact on our life, on a quality of life. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think, well, I think the one thing, thing is, the one thing you said there, though, Aaron, is you said one very big word very quickly. I think pride and recognition and value is coming back to the cleaning industry that has been missing for oh too long. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I totally agree. I mean, it's, you know, people and, and I, my prediction is if, if we, in fact, at our university, if we flip and we go to day cleaning, I said, you're going to see a lot of students and a lot of faculty that are really going to take time to suddenly start saying thank you to our custodial staff. Uh, hey, 
appreciate it. That's all. It, you know, and the funny thing is, it doesn't take a lot. It just takes that little, you know, if, if I'm walking into a classroom and I see the custodian coming out, how much effort is it to sit and say, hey, thanks for cleaning the place. Really appreciate uh-huh. it. That's all it yeah. takes. And you know how that makes, you know how it makes them feel? When somebody actually recognizes what I'm doing? Wow. The value of the statement that I coined uh, nearly a decade ago now and trademarked and have put on my business card for several years yep, is now very, very real. And, you know, it just goes to the fact of what we've, what we've always done here at the Academy. The reason that we're here, you know, frontline technicians, you know, we put on our seal knowledge protecting health and, you know, I think some people are like, yeah, well, you know, put it on there, whatever you want to, Dave. But now the, the facts and the reality is coming to really bear about those words. You know, yeah. you, you and I, now that I'm in the teaching industry instead of the cleaning industry, actually, um, you know, I'm learning that my words have much more impact than they ever had. And even the words that I used before, now I'm realizing what I was actually saying back then. And, and I think everybody else is now, too. We've been on here for a little over an hour or just right at an hour, Aaron. Uh, my How the time goes by, we could probably sit here and talk for another hour. It's always a blast to talk with you, Dave. You always, you always, cre- you always pose such stimulating questions that are pertinent, that are timely, that, that really, uh, really seem to tie into where we are as a, as not only just as, by the way, as a profession, but as a society today. And I really, I treasure that in our conversation. You know, I think that's the the interesting thing here that, um, you know, we've literally had hundreds of people come through the education here at the Academy and and here live on the air. I want to say thank you to all of those people who have come either through a remote class or our online uh, self-service classes. We appreciate the fact that you're taking the time to get the education we appreciate the owners and the management who are, well, sending them through. Just this week, we had a uh, building service contractor that signed up to have his own custom campus for his 30 employees. And he said, you know, I might have to push them to really take the education. Um, but it was interesting. We signed them up two days ago. And they had 17 courses online. And today, one of the people has already went through all 17 courses. <laughs> and he sent That's me a great. note. That he sent great. me a note today and he said, I can't believe that they're that hungry. And I said, you know, the thing is, our industry has been. They've just been waiting for people to recognize it. So I'm encouraged. I'm, uh, in, 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 I'm inspired by these people. I am so glad to be a part of the cleaning industry and be able to help with uh, the knowledge that we can. If you are listening to this live this afternoon or you're listening to the remote, we really do encourage you to engage us. We're here to support you. We're here to help. The reason we have the education is for protecting the health of the frontline worker. If we can't do that, then we can't help you protect the health of everybody else. Aaron, do you have any parting words here before I close the show today? Dave, what you just said was spot on, uh, spot on, wonderful. Uh, I, 
I would, I guess if I was going to close with anything, it would just be um, a word of thanks because um, we've seen a lot, you know, about the, the, the front line, uh, you know, the first responders um, and they have been superb. They have been wonderful in how they have stepped up during this time and have, have really dedicated themselves to, to saving people's lives. Um, but I tell people, I say, you know, you do realize that there's something before the first responder. And that's the people who are keeping that environment clean for them. You can, uh, you can be the most incredible first responder in the world. You bring that person into a, an unsanitary environment. I don't care how good you are in the medical profession. You put them in that environment, something bad's going to happen. You are, as a first responder, you're relying on the people who keep that environment safe and clean and healthy for you. And I would argue that if, if they're even before the, before the first responder, there's a person who makes it possible for that first responder to do their work in a safe, clean, and healthy manner. And they ought to get the recognition that they deserve. Well, Aaron, as you always do, you always lead me to something because in our class, we actually have a statement and we show the picture and we encourage everybody to recognize that the frontline technician is in a constant daily battle in a germ warfare. We are the first responders in keeping a facility healthy. We battle an unseen enemy with tools and knowledge and what we're so encouraged with right now is that people are getting the knowledge so that they use the tools much more effectively to help keep the rest of us safe you know i tell people this all the time you can have the sharpest sword but if you don't know how to swing it and how to use it that sword is no good and so when we go into battle folks we're going in there against microbes that we can't see we will never stop learning about them. I think that's one of the interesting things what COVID has done. We are now learning what we should have been learning before. It has um, benefit. It has repercussions. There are good things. There are bad things. There are things that we should be doing, things we shouldn't be doing. And that's why we have the uh, education here at the academy. That's why we talk with people like you. I will tell you that uh, I just got a review. We did a, a class yesterday with 120 custodians at a college. And I got a review on our first day uh, earlier uh, this morning. And he said, you know, my custodians come to classes all the time, but they've never been to an engaging class like yours. <laughs> now, you know, the thing about it is that wasn't about me. And, and, and we found that one little trick that you gave us that you inspired us to use has been the thing that has helped us with our classes. And I think this is what we're talking about. We learn from each other. We use things. We, we, we try them. Not everything you try, folks, is going to be the right thing. It's not always going to work. But, but keep trying. Keep pushing forward. There you go. Great. Great. Well said. Um, you know what, you know, we've asked people every time that they come on the show uh, where they were born and what's on their bucket list. So uh, for folks that have not heard you, can you answer the two questions for them today before we close out? Sure. 
where was I born? Lakewood, Ohio, which is a suburb of Cleveland. Um, and uh, born 1956. Uh, I was born at a very young age. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was born early in life kind of thing. Um, but for if, if, you, if anybody in Cleveland is listening to this, uh, I grew up in Brook Park, which makes me a West Sider. Now, if, if you're from Cleveland, Ohio, you know there's East Siders and there's West Siders. So I was a West Sider. So okay. For what that's worth. On my bucket list, um, there are some golf courses I've not been to that I'd love to get to. Uh, my son and I just, uh, he just graduated from college this year, sort of, I think he did, because there was no graduation ceremony. Go oh, figure. goodness. Oh, goodness. Uh, but for his graduation trip, he wanted to go out to Bandon Dunes in Oregon, so we did that. And uh, if you're asking me what's on the bucket list, uh, I would love to get back to Scotland. Uh, we had a chance to play one course there. I'd love to go back and play about three or four courses in Scotland and at the birthplace of golf. Folks, you might want to answer, you might want to kind of, why does he ask a question like that? Because here's one of the things I teach in every class. If you don't know where you're starting from, well, you're never going to get to the destination. And if you don't have a goal, if you don't have a purpose, then you're probably doing something that, well, isn't going to get you there. And so that's the way the cleaning industry is. We always want to help you with where's your starting place. We have programs that will help you with your institute, with your organization, to help you figure out where you're starting. And, you know, the change will always happen. One of the things we always say, whatever you do between the time that we've talked to you today and the next time, make sure that it is healthy, positive, and proactive. Aaron, it's a pleasure as always. Thank you. And uh, let's do it again next month. Hey, it's my privilege, and by all means, let's do it next month. You just set me up. Uh, if you remember what you just said at the end, you just set up a conversation for next month. Well, let's let's do it. <laughs> okay. I look forward to it, Dave. Thanks, everybody, for being on with us live or listening to us uh, on the uh, recorded version. We'll talk to you again next time. Take care. <laughs>